Thanks. You guys doing well? Whoa, I kind of sound like I'm in a tin can, don't I? Oh, I was just kidding then. All right, I sound great. I do to me, but that's okay. I can, I can live with it. Are you guys doing well? Hey, let's just, uh, let's just pray one more time and welcome Holy Spirit, all right? Father, we just say that we love you and we love your presence. And we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to continue to rest in this place. Lord, I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you more. God, we do ask that you would just give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying. Tonight, God, I ask for impartation. I ask for revelation. I ask that we would all leave tonight more in love with Jesus. And we thank you for it in your name. Amen. Well, my name's Chuck, for those that don't know me, and I'm one of the pastors here. This is my incredible wife right here. Uh, Anne-Marie, uh, who is leading worship. By the way, can we thank our worship team one more time? And her husband, Jeff, who is just up here, our senior associate leaders, and uh, Joey, Kel- Joey and Kelly Festi, um, as Jeff mentioned, are out of town. They miss you guys. They're in California suffering for Jesus. Kelly got jealous because we were posting pictures of the weather here and how it's like 38. By the way, I'm from Canada, so when it's 38 in the morning... I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Like, that does really well for my Canadian heart. And uh, so Kelly was, like, commenting on the post saying, that's not fair. It's, like, 80 in California right now because they're having, like, a heat wave or whatever. But Anna and I leave tomorrow. Pray for us. We leave for uh, Bethel Church to be part of the Leaders Advance. And we're just excited to see friends and um, get refreshed and uh, be in God's presence. So you can pray for us. Wasn't that an amazing testimony that Anna shared about? about the little kid in Indiana. We had a really good time. I just want to give a really quick update, a little report. Um, There's two churches in southern Indiana that have come together um, to host me. First, it was one church that another church jumped in, and they come together, and it was my fourth time there to minister, fourth year in a row around the same time of year. And this this time, Anna and the girls came, and uh, they're just so hungry, um, like this group, like you guys, for everything God has for them. And God just really showed up and, uh, and miracles started to break out. Is it okay if I just share a couple testimonies? There was one, um, there was one young lady. I felt, I had a word of knowledge that God was, I felt like there was somebody with pain in their thumb that went into their wrist, into their hand and even into their wrist. I said, if that's you, could you stand? And there was a young lady that stood who a year and a half ago was kicked by a horse and broke her hand. And as a result, there was a bump. It healed, but it didn't heal properly. And, and there was a bump, like, sticking out of her thumb. And there was, I don't know if it was nerve damage or what it was, but she didn't have enough strength in her hand to even grip a pen. And that was a year and a half ago. And, uh, and it, she would have pain. Her, her fingers would sometimes lock up. It was amazing. The Holy Spirit came over her. The bump completely disappeared. All pain left, and she grabbed her friend's mason jar of water and, and began to un, undo the lid with no problem at all. Isn't that amazing? And, and we just saw the Lord just began to do miracles. As, as uh, And really, I wasn't even laying hands on people. I was just having people lay hands on each other. But my favorite testimony, well, that was probably my favorite one, but a close second, if not the same, was this young man, and like Anna sh- shared, he was probably seven years old, and I six years old. We got to get this right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Six years old, and I, I preached on um, being set free from the fear of man. 
and encountering the fear of the Lord and the boldness that comes when we walk in the fear of the Lord. And I felt like the Lord was releasing baptisms of fire. And I said, if you feel heat on your body, fire on your hands, any heat on you whatsoever, come to the front. There was way more people than I expected. And one was this young man. And later he told his mom, as Anna said, mom, I saw Jesus in the room. And he was, he was standing there laughing. <laughs> and she's like, what did he look like? And he began to describe him. And he said, and he had fire in his eyes. Like said stuff that kids can't make up. Isn't that amazing? So I just want to echo what Anna said, that our, our kids and our young people, are, it's like our, our ceiling's going to be their floor. And they're going to go way above and beyond anything that we could see on earth. So do you agree with that? Can we just thank Jesus ahead of time for what he's going to do? in our young people and what he's already doing up there. Absolutely amazing. Uh, but I do want to share a message that's on my heart. And um, it's, uh, I like when God does this, but I was, I was sitting at Starbucks just going over my notes and tweaking a few things and just praying. And I started to get absolutely wrecked by the goodness of the Lord and, and what I felt like he wanted to release tonight. So forgive me if I get a little bit, of emo- a little bit emotional. I feel like I'm like still in the encounter. And my prayer is that the Lord releases a corporate encounter tonight of his, of his goodness, of his fire, that we would look at Jesus like the seven-year-old, six-year-old and say, wow, he really has fire in his eyes. We, we have a God who, who burns with such passion for his sons and daughters that when we just gaze into his eyes, we just get absolutely undone. And my prayer is that tonight we would just taste and see afresh that God is entirely good. He's better than we think he is. And that we would get absolutely wrecked by his love. Are you guys on board for that? All right, just lift your hands like this for a minute. Father, we invite you to wreck us tonight in a really good way. That you would encounter our hearts, God. That we would get set on fire afresh by you tonight. That we would leave changed. That we would be like uh, John Wesley who said, I don't look for a crowd to preach to. I just get set on fire and people come from all over to watch me burn. I pray, God, that you would make us burning ones for you in our hearts, in our soul. That we would fall even more in love with you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to read a very familiar passage of scripture. from 1 Kings chapter 3, and it's the story of Solomon, King Solomon, asking God for wisdom, and it says this in 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? How many of you know that's a pretty good encounter? <laughs> God shows up and says, ask whatever you want, that's what I'm going to give to you. Solomon said in verse 6, you've shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You've continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. So just to give you a little bit of a context, David is getting old. He's, he has plans to build a temple for the Lord. The Lord comes to David through the prophet Nathan and says, you're actually not the guy to bring it because your hands have bloodshed. You've had too much war. Uh, so your son Solomon is actually going to be the one to build the temple for me. And now Solomon, when he gets called to be the next king of Israel, he's really young. In fact, historians believe that Solomon was like 12 years old when he asked for wisdom. Not necessarily when he became king, but when he had an encounter with the Lord and asked for wisdom because he knew he was becoming king, they believe he was about 12 years old, okay? And he said, now, O Lord, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David, but I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. I want you to remember that phrase. 
verse 8. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked uh, for long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked uh, the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. Now, this is a pretty familiar story for those that have been around the church for a while, and it's just such an amazing, even just a picture of having a pure heart before the Lord, of, of saying, God, more than anything else, I want wisdom. Not only that, I just, this is a prayer that I actually personally started praying over our girls. God, that they would have an, a, a heart to know you, an understanding heart. Not just an intellectual assent to God, but an experiential encounter with the reality of heaven. That at the age of whatever they are, 21 months, they would, they would start to develop a heart to know you. So we're spending time with our girls. We have Bethel music playing on YouTube on our TV screen. And we just let them watch us worship. We'll just be worshiping the Lord, and they kind of watch us, and then they'll start to like raise their hands and spin around, and, and they're starting to worship Jesus. They started to say, yay, Jesus, and just start to clap their hand. And, and that's such an amazing prayer that we can pray for both our kids and ourselves. God, give me an understanding heart to know you. One of the prayers I love to pray whenever I think about it is Ephesians three seventeen. Lord, I pray that you would give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation that I might know you more. Not know about you, but to have an encounter with the reality of your nature. That I might know you intimately, that I might grow progressively in my understanding of what you're like. And this is what Solomon's asking for, but he's particularly asking the Lord for wisdom to lead his people, because he's only 12. And then he says this, which is really, really interesting. He says, because I am only a kid, and I don't know how to go out or come in. Everybody say, go out and come in. And what's interesting is this phrase or this terminology, go out or come in, is actually found all through Scripture when it comes to one of God's leaders of his people throughout the Old Testament. Whether it's a king, whether it's a priest, whether it's one of uh, the judges in the, in the days of the judges, it talks about how they would lead God's people out and they would lead them in. And, you, and I'm just going to name a few just to give you an idea. Deuteronomy 31, 1 to 2, listen to this. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Joshua 14, 11, Joshua said, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now my strength, my strength is for war, both for going out and coming in. Verse Samuel 18, 16, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Psalm 121, verse eight, David said this himself, the Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in 
from this time even forevermore. And I started to study a little bit this phrase of, of what, what did it mean for the kings to lead their people out and bring them in. It's like this is what was like on the forefront of their mind. It was their lifestyle. They lived this in and out lifestyle of coming into God's presence corporately and encountering him and then going out, leading their people, oftentimes out to war to, to actually conquer their enemies. And what's interesting is it was actually when they came into God's presence and worshiped and sought him, David lived this lifestyle, that they would actually receive revelation, strategy, and direction for how to, how to fight against their enemies. And they lived this lifestyle of coming in before the Lord, getting wisdom, getting revelation, getting strengthened, and going out to advance God's kingdom. Sound familiar? I was reading this and I was just, I've been studying this and I've been, you know, listening to some guys that have been teaching along these lines. And I thought, what a prophetic picture for the church. You know, week after week, we come together corporately to worship Jesus. We're coming in together, right? Just like I know, I love that when we come together corporately like this. How many of you know that you can encounter God alone in your bedroom, but you can really encounter him? when you come together corporately for one purpose, to corporately and collectively and as a family seek the face of God. And there's something about us coming together corporately, coming in to worship that I believe prepares us and that God will even release strategy, revelation, and wisdom for how to leave Sunday night and go into Monday morning and the rest of the week to to advance the kingdom of God and see the kingdom of heaven literally transform every sphere of society. That's what this is about. How many of you know that when we come together on a Sunday night, it's not just to, you know, to feel good and get refreshed. That's part of it, and that's amazing. But how many of you know that it's unto something, that we have a mission, and that is to see the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and our Christ? That everywhere we go, we would know that we're on a mission. That everything we receive in here corporately, we get to go out and release and bring transformation everywhere we go. It's a really big deal. You know, I, I'm going to share this uh, story. In fact, I might, I might start, share it next week. I'll just share it anyway. I was at the mall. And, uh, and, I, and I was at the mall. And I was just, it was, after, it was after we had church on a Sunday night. And the Lord was just speaking to me and stirring my heart. It was a... It was, uh, I don't know how many weeks ago. And I'm walking through the mall and my heart just began to just, just move with compassion for those that don't know God. And, and I'm walking back past like some of those kiosks in the middle of the mall, you know, where they sell like products for women. And this, you know, the other day I was walking past one and uh, the guy's like, here, this, like as his like tactic, he's like, here, this is for you. And he, and he like handed me an iPad. I mean, an iPod, and I go, thanks, and I just kind of kept walking with it, <laughs> and, and, and uh, anyway, I went and gave it back to him, and I said, no, thanks, thanks, but no thanks, I was just messing with him, but, but a couple weeks ago, I was walking past one, and God just gave me a little nudge and told me to go encourage the guy, and I, I didn't know what I was going to tell him until I got in front of him, so I just walked back, like, walked to him, and I could tell he was Middle Eastern, and he was in his 20s, and I said, hey, my name's Chuck, and I'm a pastor, it was my classic line, Anna makes fun of me, <laughs> yeah. She, she always makes fun of my line, my, my, like, my pickup line. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, my name's Chuck. I'm a pastor. This might sound crazy, but sometimes God gives me a word of encouragement for somebody, and I feel like I have one for you. And as soon as I said that, he cut me off. True story. And he goes, I tried to be a Christian when I was in Austin, but they wouldn't let me. And I said, I said, what do you mean? 
He said, I, I tried to go, but I'm from Turkey, and therefore they thought I was Muslim, and they said that I made people feel uncomfortable, and they wouldn't let me. And I, and I said, I am so sorry. I said, that is not an accurate representation of Jesus. And you'd think this guy would be offended, but instead, you know what he said? In broken English, he goes, I know. I, I try again. And he took a pen and began to write down my number and like where I go to church. <laughs> I know, I try again. <laughs> because I'm telling you, there is a generation crying out for a king like Jesus. And it's just our, our role is to come together corporately like this, experience more freedom, more love, encounter the Lord, get filled afresh so that we can leave and start to advance his kingdom every single place that we go. And it's this in and out lifestyle that I feel like God's calling us to. And I particularly felt like I was supposed to share this week and, uh, and the next week that I share, um, I think I might be sharing next week, if not a couple weeks after that. And that is this, that as, as kingdom life as a body, really the body of Christ as, as a whole, but I'm talking to kingdom life tonight, and that is this. We, part of our identity is that we're called to be kings and priests. We are kings and we are priests before God. And here's the deal. In the Old Testament, there were select individuals who were anointed kings or priests, or you have people like King, king David who was a king and a priest, who were chosen and anointed by God to go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. At certain times of the year, they would offer sacrifices for themselves to make themselves acceptable to go in and then offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And, and, and they, as priests, they had access. And, and, but here's the deal. In the new covenant, the Bible says that every single one of us are both kings and priests. Right? And it says this in uh, 1 Peter 2.9. It says, Peter said this to the church. He said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Royalty, that's kingship. Priesthood, it's, it's excess. A holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Revelation 1.6 it says that Jesus has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Here's the cool thing about us being kings and priests. Priests have direct access and kings have authority. And as kings and priests, you and I have direct access to the absolute king of the universe. We don't have to go through sacrifices. Jesus paid a sacrifice once and for all 2,000 years ago, and we have direct access to his throne. How many of you think that's pretty good news? And as kings, we have been given all authority, and I'm gonna talk about that next time I preach. We have been given all authority from heaven to advance the kingdom of God in the earth as Jesus did when he walked the earth. But, but tonight, in particular, I wanna talk about what it looks like practically for you and I to walk this thing out called being priests. Is that okay? Let me just say this. I believe every single one of us as sons and daughters of God, our primary call, our primary mandate is to minister to the Lord. And I am so absolutely thankful for Anne-Marie and our worship team who, who aren't just, I'm so thankful that we don't just have skilled musicians. We do have that, but we have worshipers. And when they worship, and when we worship with them, the presence of God rides in on the praises of his people. 
And see, kingdom life as a house, one of our very core values is extravagant worship. Everything that we do is centered around worship. Because we, we really believe that our primary mandate, our primary call is to minister to the Lord. We're ministers to the Lord. That's our calling. Young people, if you're like, what's my call? I'm praying about what, I'm, I want direction for my life. What's my call? What's my mandate? Your call is to minister to the Lord. And it's in that place of just having a heart of worship before him on a regular basis, a lifestyle of worship, where you'll find your destiny, I promise. I found my destiny in the secret place. I didn't find my personal destiny by, by like getting before the Lord and saying, God, I need direction for my life. Am I supposed to be a doctor? Am I supposed to be a lawyer? Am I supposed to be a janitor? Am I supposed to be an astronaut? I was one of those kids that wanted to be something different like every week. <laughs> every week. I was like, I want to be an astronaut. And then I was like, I want to be a paramedic. And then I'm like, I hate blood. I want to be, you know, I was like, I was always wanting to be something. But you know how I found my, my calling, my destiny, my mandate? It's what my heart burned for when I was ministering to the Lord. It's what I dreamed about when I got in his presence. You want to find your, your calling, your destiny, just start to minister unto him and make him your burning passion, your number one desire, and every single thing else, this is for young and old, will line up if, we, if we'll make him our one thing, our one pursuit, our one desire. I promise. I guarantee it. It's how we find our destiny. And see, King David is really the best Old Testament example of one who chased hard after God. King David, if we're gonna look at a an Old Testament, Old Testament example is like the poster child prototype role model for one who is a priest under the Lord. Because here's the deal. Long before King David was king, long before he had a title, long before he had a prophetic word that he was going to be king, you know what he was? He was a minister under the Lord. He was a shepherd boy looking after his dad's sheep, not even invited to the party when the prophet showed up and said, bring, told David's dad, bring all your boys because God told me one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. David wasn't even invited to the party. He was out looking after the sheep. And it says that they all came before Samuel. He's like, it's not that one. It's not that one. It's not that one. He's like, is this all your kids? Is this all your boys? And Jesse's like, there's still David. <laughs> Could you imagine? Like, like, talk about temptation for rejection. Like, there's David, you know. Some scholars believe that he was an illegitimate child, that he was, that he was more of a, you know, uh, kind of a, anyway, I won't get into that. But he wasn't invited to the party. He was there looking after the sheep. And Samuel's like, bring him. We're not going to even start the sacrifice until he shows up. David shows up. And God's like, that's the one. Anoint him. He, he, he didn't have the physical appearance or accolades or things in the outward that would tell anybody that he was going to be the next king of Israel. But God said, don't look upon man's outward appearance, for God doesn't judge the way that you do because I look on the heart. And more than anything else, before David was a king, he was a minister under the Lord. And it was from that place of ministering under the Lord that I really believe caused God to trust David to be the king of Israel. Because later he said, David is a man after my own heart. There's no one else like him on the earth. That's who you and I are called to be. First and foremost, priests, ministers under the Lord. So, 
<laughs> she's, she's, I'm getting some amens over here. It's not distracting me. You're totally fine. It's not, it's not distracting me at all. So, so this is what I want to do. I just want to share just a little bit about how you and I, and I don't know if I've ever taught on this before, I want to talk about how you and I come in to a place of worship on a weekly basis and encounter Jesus. Solomon said, God, I'm just a boy. I don't know how to go out and I don't know how to come in. And I really believe, I'm not going to say protocol, but I believe there is a posturing that God is calling us to as a body so that we can get the most out of and most benefit our time of worship when we come together. And let me just say this. This isn't, this isn't a plug for church attendance. This is, this is about priority. Can I, can I just encourage you? If we're gonna start worship at, at 5.15, I wanna encourage you not to come like halfway through, but actually come to all of worship because we, we believe that worship is so important under the Lord. See, worship isn't a warm, a warm up for the main event. As far as I'm concerned, it is the main event. I don't care if I get to speak. If we, if we just worshiped all night and we ministered under the Lord, that's, that's the main event, guys. <laughs> this isn't about, this isn't a spectator sport where we come, sing a few songs as a warm-up and then hear, you know, a good word and, uh, and then go on and just, no, we want to come and counter God and leave changed. And so I want to encourage you that as we come in to come in, and I want to share just a few things. And the first thing that I want to share is this, is when we come together for worship, we need to come with confidence. Everybody say confidence. Because here's the deal. In fact, I'm just going to read it. It says this in uh, Hebrews 4.16. The writer of Hebrews said, let us therefore come boldly, say boldly, before, before the throne of grace, some, some translations say, let us come with confidence before the throne of grace, listen to this, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God wants us to come with boldness and confidence before his throne. You know why we can do that? Because it's a throne of grace. <laughs> Aren't you glad that it's not a throne of criticism? It's not a throne of judgment. God has a throne of judgment. He judges wickedness. He judges, he judges uh, darkness. He judges evil. But it's not saying that. It's saying let us come boldly before his throne of grace and we can be confident because it's a throne of grace. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that when I come before the Lord, he isn't like, yeah, you can worship me, but first let me tell you about all the things you did this week that really disappointed me. That's not God. If things come to your mind that might have, you know, hurt the Lord's heart, obviously confess them, get them out of the way. But, but the point is, they're out of the way. And you have direct access to his throne. We don't need to work up holiness before the Lord before we can worship him. Jesus made us holy 2,000 years ago, and we can come confidently with our head high as sons and daughters. Because when the Father looks at you and me, he actually sees Jesus. I love what Pastor Murray uh, Newman, a friend from Australia, said uh, last month. He said, what's true about Jesus is true about you. Yeah. 
Obviously, it doesn't mean that we're, we're God like Jesus is, but it does mean that in the same way that Jesus is fully accepted and fully loved before the Father, that's who you and I, um, that's how you and I come before him as well. When the Father looks at us, he sees us as co-heirs with Christ. That's really good news. That's the gospel. And therefore, we can come before his throne of grace with absolute confidence and joy. Let me just say this. I am getting absolutely wrecked by the revelation of the Father's pleasure in me. I'm just sitting preparing this message and thinking about his goodness, and I'm like, God, you, you like me so much. <laughs> it's true. The Father doesn't just love you. He likes you. Like, Brittany, he likes you. <laughs> like, you don't, he doesn't just love us in some generic, you know, I'm God and I'm love, so I have to love everybody since. He likes us individually. Everybody say, he likes me. Like, God is really into you. Like, there's, there's things about you individually that get to God's emotions, there's, see, every single one of us is, is made so unique by God. You know that scripture, you are a chosen people? That word chosen comes from a Greek word like eclect, eclectos or something like that. It's where we get the word eclectic. What's eclectic mean? It's like, it's like this uh, mosaic of really different things. See, as the body of Christ, we are a chosen, eclectic people that are so uniquely designed by God that when we worship him or when we just do life before his throne, we touch his emotions in a way that nobody else can. Like, that's, that's amazing. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just getting, getting rocked and undone again by God's pleasure in me. A.W. Tozer an amazing author, he, he's just written absolute classics, The Pursuit of God, and a bunch of other books. He said this, listen to this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. See, our perception of what he's like is absolutely imperative. Graham Cook likes to say, is who God is to you is who he'll be through you. And the more revelation we get of just how outrageously crazy, doesn't make sense, amazing and good he is, the more we start to manifest that goodness, the more we start to, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Shine forth his goodness. So we need to understand that God doesn't just love us. He really likes us. And when we come together corporately, we need to understand, like, we're not coming with our shame. It says in Psalms, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. When we come before him to worship, we need to to check shame at the door. In fact, we need to check shame, you know, throw it in the garbage every time we wake up in the morning. We need to shoot shame in the head every time it pokes its head up. Because there's no shame for the sons and daughters of God. Absolutely no shame. Like, again, we can't afford to think a thought about, our, about ourselves that God doesn't think about us. And, and when we have an accurate view of, of God and what he thinks of us, we can come before his throne of grace with absolute confidence and boldness. We can, I mean, I, I told the story a few weeks ago. Dan Muller told the story about when he's getting this revelation of the goodness of God, he would like go, he would finally get some time alone with the Lord and he would like sneak into his bedroom 
He'd quietly open his door and he was going to his bedroom. He'd close the door and he'd be like, here I am, <laughs> your son, <laughs> you know? And that's how he spent time with the Lord. It's like he was like childlike, like, and so excited to be with the Lord. He would go into his presence, open his door, quietly close it. He'd go, here I am. And then one day after doing this every day, he comes in, opens the door. He kind of quietly comes in, closes the door. He turns around and he sees an open vision. And he sees this open vision of angels and the Father in heaven. And he said there was this holy hush where he heard all this choir of angels singing. And then he heard the Father go, shh. And, he's, and there was this holy hush. And he said, shh, my son has come to talk to me. What if every single one of us had that revelation that the Father is so into us that when we come before him, he stops everything and we have his absolute full attention. That's being a priest. That's excess. That's, that's every single one of us being his favorite. If anyone's carrying shame, unworthiness, condemnation, comparison, I just give you permission to be absolutely free tonight. In fact, just just to join in it so that they don't feel alone, let's just all like shake right now. Let's just shake off any unworthiness, shame. Maybe just brush it off your shoulders a little bit. And everybody say, I am amazing because I am a priest before the Lord with full access. See, listen, so we come before his throne of grace with confidence. Let me just say this, and this is, this is like, this is Bible 101 Sunday school. I get that, but it's important because it's, it's true, and that is this. We're to come before his throne with thanksgiving. Like, we're, we're to cultivate a lifestyle as we come together corporately with, with a thankful heart. And we all know this, Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Say, thanksgiving. Say praise. It goes on, it says, give thanks to him and praise his name. And see, there's, there's something about coming before the Lord with just thanking him that literally, I believe, positions our heart to focus on him, but I believe it gets his attention. I really do. It's not manipulating God. It's not twisting his arm. But it's like, when, as sons and daughters, let me just say this. It, when my girls are old enough to say, thank you, daddy, it's going to melt my heart. You know? If, if it's Christmas morning and I give them a gift that they, they, they've been asking for, or maybe they have it and I, I give it to them, and then it's slow, and they're just, oh, I love this, thank you, daddy, it's going to melt my heart. In the same way, there's something about thankfulness before the Lord that I believe gets his attention. And there could be all kinds of things going on in your life that you're not thankful for, but I guarantee you there's some things that every single one of us can be thankful for. And I I try to live a lifestyle individually as well as corporately of just thanking the Lord, of just saying, God, thank you for my home, thank you for my wife, thank you for my girls. And what it does is it shifts my perspective off of the negative, off of some things that maybe aren't going the way that I want. It it shifts my focus on the things that he is doing. And not only that, but I believe that it realigns my heart with heaven 
And I actually enter his presence that way. I believe the same thing happens corporately. When we come together and we just begin to thank God, even just as we're singing, we're thanking God for his goodness. And then it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. What's praise? It's simply proclaiming and declaring who God is. It's declaring his goodness. And I love, I, was talk, I love what Zach shared actually earlier. Zach and I were talking on the phone earlier. He's like, I just feel like the Lord's bringing us into this place where we're just going into a new place of praise. And, and Anne-Marie was, was talking about this too, where, where we're just going, I really believe that as a body, we're going to another level in our worship and in our praise, that when we praise, things just start to break, break open like crazy. See, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. That means when we come together week after week and we're praising him, we're worshiping him, we're telling him how good he is, his man, see, God is everywhere. But when we corporately praise him, he rides in tangibly. He rides in with such a tangible presence that, that he just starts to inhabit the atmosphere. He starts to come in this place. That's why I believe that in uh, Spencer, Indiana, where we were, this young man like sees a vision of Jesus standing in the room. Why? Because we just got done just proclaiming and praising God and telling him how good he is. And we invited his manifest presence to come into the room. And I'm telling you, if our hearts continue to chase after God the way that they are, I really believe that God is about to ride in like never before on our praises. Where just physical healings start to break out during worship. There's unusual manifestations of his glory and his presence. And that comes from a place of worship. So we come in with thanksgiving. We come in with praise. And the other thing that I want to share is this. As priests, we come in acknowledging his lordship. I was thinking about this, and and I just wrote this. I said, God is Father, Jesus is our friend, and Holy Spirit is our helper, but all three will never stop being King of kings and Lord of lords, who is worthy of reverence and awe. And I believe there's something about posturing our hearts in this thing called the fear of the Lord, where we come before him and receive his love, receive his comfort, receive his preach his peace, but we also come before him with such a reverence and awe for who he is that we become humbled in his presence and we, and, and we just, we become in awe of who he is. It's the fear of the Lord. God doesn't want us to be afraid of him, but he does want us to walk in a holy fear. And let me just say this, there's something about the fear of the Lord that I absolutely love. I remember when I first got saved and the Holy Spirit started uh, just really pouring out at our church. We're meeting every night and you've heard stories and we experienced just an extended period of outpouring and renewal where the Lord was, we were like there in the building till like 1 a.m. almost every night as God's tangible presence just broke in. And I know it happened here too and, and really all over the world. But I remember being 16 years old, having these encounters with the glory of the Lord and going home and, uh, and like the atmosphere would come with me. It's like I was just, buzzed on the Holy Ghost. And I would come home just like intoxicated by his presence and I would go to bed, but I'm just like, his presence is still there and I can just feel his atmosphere around me. And I remember being afraid, but a good afraid. Not afraid that God was gonna like punish me or hurt me, but uh, I don't wanna open my eyes right now (laughs) because if I do, I think I'm gonna see something that I'm not ready to see. (laughs) True story. And I remember feeling the fear of the Lord come into my room. 
and me getting, like, it's like I couldn't get low enough. I would get on the ground, and I would, I would curl up in a ball. And I wasn't scared. He was just so awesome. And I would be like, God, you're so awesome. You're so amazing. You're so beautiful. But I don't want to see you yet. <laughs> True story. And there's times where I'm pretty sure there's an angel standing in the room, but I was like, I'm not ready. Now I'm like, God, where are they, you know? <laughs> But the fear of the Lord, I just, I began to encounter this thing of the fear of the Lord, and it's absolutely beautiful, and I, I never want to lose that place of, of walking in a reverent, reverential fear of who he is, an awe that the majesty, just the absolute beauty, that he's the absolute king of the universe. I mean, think about it. He's a king. He's a God that is uncreated. We have an uncreated God who always was and always will be. That's, that's so stunning. It's absolutely, it wrecks me. That's, that's who lives inside of us. And, and I feel like God is, is, wants to visit the church with the fear of the Lord again. And I, and I prophesy and declare, there is going to be another holiness movement that sweeps planet Earth. But it's not going to be steeped in legalism. It's going to be steeped in the beauty of the fear of the Lord, where we never want to do anything or say anything that would break his heart. And it's, it's a reverence. It's an awe. It's, uh, it's just, it's being undone by his beauty. And here's the thing about the fear of the Lord, is when we walk in the fear of the Lord... It, we get absolutely set free from the fear of man. We get set free from the fear of man. When we See, it's, it's as simple as this. I care more about what he thinks than what anybody else thinks. It's as simple as that. Uh, Bill Johnson likes to say this, an idol is anything that you need to check in with before you obey God. <laughs> And I'm not saying that we don't walk in community. I'm not saying that we don't test words in community. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about whose opinion matters most. And when God gets a generation that wants to please him before anyone else, that is a recipe for worldwide revival. And again, King David modeled this so well. You know, we read about King David in... uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we read about how the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence abided, got um, taken by the Philistines. And then David found out that it went from the Philistines into the backyard of Obed-Edom. And this dude had the Ark in his backyard, and it's like his life was just getting blown up with blessing. And David's like, wait a second here. (laughs) We need to go get that back. Remember that? And then it says this in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. Now it was told of King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Now, I did the math once, or I read about somebody that did the math. And if you look at, (laughs) let's be honest, (laughs) math was never my strong suit. 
That's what Google's for. So, and if you look at the distance and how many miles it was that they carried the ark and how many steps it would have been, and every six steps, David sacrificed an animal, like we're talking a lot of blood. We're talking a lot of sacrifice. But to David, it wasn't even a sacrifice because he was getting the presence. And see, when, when God's presence is our priority, it's not hard to let go of things. It's not hard to, to be generous. It's not hard to live a life of sacrifice. You know, the Bible talks about giving a sacrifice of praise. What's a sacrifice of praise? It's worshiping God when we don't feel like it. And when his presence comes, it's like it, not, nothing else matters. I'm going to worship you because you're God. And, and it's a sacrifice sometimes. But David's doing this, okay? And, uh, and then it says this, um, verse 13, and so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, I read that, verse 14, then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, listen to this, Michael, Saul's daughter, David's wife, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, listen to this, and she despised him in her heart. Verse 20, then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said this, rather sarcastically, I might add. How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of these fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. She's absolutely disdained, disgusted that David would do this, because he's a king. Kings don't do that. Kings walk in dignity. They keep their robe on, especially in front of the, you know, the women in town, you know. <laughs> but listen to this, verse 21. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. Listen to this, verse 22. And I will be even more undignified than this. And will be humble in my own sight. Michael is embarrassed, disdained, just rejected. I mean, later it says from that point on, she didn't bear any kids, which by the way is a prophetic picture for us that when we fear the opinion of men rather than the the opinion of God, it actually cuts off fruitfulness in the kingdom. But David said, it was before God that I danced before him. And then he's like, I'm going to be even more undignified. And And then in other words, he was like, you haven't seen anything yet. And there's something about the fear of the Lord that helps us come together in absolute reckless abandon before God, worshiping him with all of our heart. Not to get attention, not to look cool, not to look radical. I don't think that's anyone's heart here. But there's something about freedom to express ourselves in worship that is an act of surrender. See, the lordship of Jesus in coming together with his lordship in mind It's all about surrender. What does that mean? It means that when the music's playing, does anyone remember like your first time raising hands in church? (laughs) When you're like, I don't know who's watching me. And I know know like Joey like made some jokes about like the different worship. But 
But these, this, this really is, like, it's biblical. The Bible says, you know, to lift your hands to the Lord. It says, shout joyfully before him. It says, David danced with all of his might before the Lord. You know, Jesus himself, when he sent out the disciples to cast out devils, and they came back, and they're like, we did it. There was, the demons were even, we healed the sick, and even the demons were subject to us. It says that Jesus rejoiced. Do you know what it literally means? The word rejoice there means that Jesus jumped up and twirled around in absolute happiness happiness. Jesus was so excited that the disciples were getting it that he's like, woohoo! He's like jumping up and twirling around. See, see, there's something about just radical abandoned worship before the Lord that actually sets us free. I remember actually times in worship when I was in youth group, when I was just young in the Lord, where like I was just, I was a young person. So, you know, I was emotional. I still am, let's be honest. And I'd be like, and I'd be like, maybe like all my friends are worshiping, they're loving Jesus. And I am like, I'm like, I just don't feel it. You know, I'm just like, I don't really feel like worshiping. I feel like this is bothering me. And there was times where I got a revelation where I'm like, you know what? If I just choose to worship, I begin to just dance before him. I, I bet whatever's just on me right now is just going to get broken off of me. There's, see, there's times where we worship extravagantly before him because we feel really happy. There's other times where we, ex- we choose to worship extravagantly and it makes us happy. Yeah. There's times where when we choose worship that we're actually, it's like Bill Johnson says, physical obedience brings spiritual breakthrough. And there's times where maybe we come together on a Sunday, we might not feel like worshiping, but we just say, you know what, God, I might be feeling like worse than I did uh, last time I was here, but I'm just going to worship you anyway. And I'm going to worship you because you don't change and you're God. And we choose to move in the opposite spirit, or maybe it's dancing before the Lord. But I remember my first time, like, I'm, like I wonder, because like, I felt like the desire to do it. And like, that's a good sign that you're supposed to do it, you know? And it's like, I, I, like, I want to, but I don't know, I don't know who's watching me, you know? So, so like one hand would go up, you know, you know what I mean? And then I was like, this isn't so bad. And I was like, and then, and then two hands went up and, and I, and I started to realize like people aren't really looking at me anyway. <laughs> They're looking at Jesus. And, and then, and then the more I did it, the more free I became where now I don't even really think about it. But I believe that as a body, the Lord is actually inviting us into even a greater level of freedom and worship. For some of you, it might be just raising your hands. For some of you, it might be like just kind of moving a little bit. <laughs> You know, just like sway or something, you know? And, and my, it, for, for some of you, it might be that when, when, when Anne-Marie or Zach gets up to lead worship and says, hey, we're purposely leaving space at the front now for people to come up and worship, you might feel like, I've never done something like this before, but I actually feel like I'm supposed to. I have a word of encouragement for you. <laughs> like, just do it. Like, try it out. And, and just, and it, it might be that, it might be, it might be that you're supposed to dance before the Lord. It might be that you feel like you're just supposed to kneel before him. There's no formula. It's all about surrender. It's all about just us being abandoned to worship him. And it's in that place of worship that I believe the Lord is going to ride in on the praises of his people like never before. He's going to encounter us. He's going to fill us. You know, um, next time I preach, I'm going to talk about what happens when we come in and we encounter him, and then we take it out as kings with authority to advance his kingdom in the earth. But tonight, I felt like there's an invitation. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up because we're actually going to end with worship tonight. But tonight, I feel like there's just an invitation for us to step into a greater place of surrender. I'm going to ask you all to stand where you are.